It's probably the best way to do it. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, friends and relatives, neighbors, uh, fellow citizens. <laughs> it's uh, your friend Rob Bell here with the Robcast. And today, he's back. Rabbi Joel is in the back house for another round of words with Rabbi Joel. That sounds like a game or something, like a show. Words with it Rabbi does. Joel. Oh, um, I like that. So, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for lunch. Th- oh, I, I think you bought. We just had lunch, <laughs> Rabbi Joel and I, and um, he's got a list of more words. And uh, there's an earlier Robcast with Rabbi Joel where he brought, uh, I don't know, five or six or seven words. So he brought a new list, and this is always such a good time. Um, Rabbi Joel Nickerson from Temple Isaiah in the heart of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. California. The West Side. And we love hanging out together. We were last, I think we were last together at your house for Sukkot. Feast yes. of Tabernacles in your backyard. Yes. Our girls danced. Well, then and there was a birthday party with a snake. Oh, there was a birthday party with a snake, too. Yeah. So we've, we've been together <laughs> on multiple occasions <laughs> since, and we did a Largo show together since the last Robcast, but a number of you Robcast friends, um, especially on the last tour, were like, when's Rabbi Joel coming back? Like, what's the problem here? Like, get him back. We love that guy. So, Oh, thank you. We aim to please. Thank you, people. Yeah. You have a huge, you have a huge following out there. So let's just let's just what's your let's what's your first word? Let's go. Let's jump in. Okay. So uh, the first word, since we're in the month of December, yes, um, we got this great, well-known holiday called Hanukkah, and I yes. figure we should know what that word means. Yes. Uh, so my first word is Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Uh, These spelled- are Hebrew words, by the way, friends. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I thought I probably should do that. <laughs> I just realized I gave no context. Um, because like a lot of holidays, Jewish holidays, Purim, Passover, people, I- even Jews included, don't realize that there's usually actually a translation of that word. Um, mm-hmm. So Hanukkah, spelled five million different ways, depending on how you look it up on the internet, uh, means dedication. Yeah. And so it's really... Uh, it, it goes back historically to the story of the destruction of the temple and how... Um, Antiochus the, Epiphanes, 167 BC. Exactly. This. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and how the small band of Jews uh, fought back, a group of zealots, actually, who fought back and retook the temple in Jerusalem and rededicated it. Therefore, the rededication, dedication of the temple. Um, And it's a really actually complex story that was so troubling for the Jews that we didn't even include it in the Old Testament. So you can go through as a Jew, reading through the Torah, or as we call it, the Tanakh, which is kind of the extended version of the five books of Moses and the prophets and and the writings, and you will never read about the historical uh, story of Hanukkah because it's in the book of Maccabees and the book of Maccabees was not included in the old Testament. So you got to go to the new Testament in order to actually find the story, which is fascinating and just goes to show the, the way in which at least I would say our tradition has really struggled with what do you include and what do you censor? And it's been something we've struggled with for a long time. And why? Because the story is, so the Greeks gradually subjugate Israel Mm-hmm. And have these stricter and stricter rules about what's permissible and what's not. Yep. And for a good Jew, this was like just awful. This is an abomination, these stricter and stricter laws. Yep. And eventually there's just mass destruction. 
Then a small group of zealots somehow defeat this global military superpower yep. at some level. Mm-hmm. And then the temple's been desecrated, so it needs to be re-cleansed or whatever. Yes. Um, yeah, they were sacrificing pigs in there yes. and you know destroying the Which place. Which is where the fra- uh, abomination that causes desolation hmm. comes out of that. So if you've ever heard abomination or the all very apocalyptic language is often used about this event because it was so... Traumatic, which I think is really, really interesting and has all sorts of modern relevance. But my question for you is, the the mystery of Hanukkah or the miracle surrounds the oil and the candles. Which the rabbis created that story because of the challenge of the people, the Jews who took back that temple were zealots. These were people who actually, according to the book of Maccabees, if you read through it, would go out and those who didn't, didn't agree with their way of Judaism, they killed them. They killed their fellow Jews who were not, or they forcibly circumcised the, the children of these people who were basically assimilating more into the general culture. And so our, the rabbis of old really struggled with how do you deal with these people who are so zealous for the cause that they actually were tearing the community apart. And at the same time, they were the ones who took back the temple and rededicated it. Yet, how do we, that's a really problematic for us. So we create a new story about the miracle of oil lasting eight days so that we can, ha- we can take our, our focus away from that challenging area and we focus on the, the role of God playing a role in helping us to get through this challenging time. So that's the story of the miracle of the oil last Really? Yeah. So hot. Because you don't find the story of the miracle of the oil lasting eight days in the book of Maccabees. You find that in the Talmud, which is the rabbinic writings later on, where the rabbis have tried to come up with how they do this. And then they go into the whole thing about how you light the candles, which is another cool thing. So so this is like the age-old question. What happens when people, like really hardcore fundamentalists, who yeah. are violent? Yes, um, will literally kill people for their cause. Yes, but they end up in the midst of all their violent fundamentalism, doing something that we think is good. Right. So how do we acknowledge this without acknowledging them? Yeah. And you're saying this sticky, complicated question is so like ah. That they're like, just whatever you do, leave it out of the Bible. Pretty much. Yeah. And come up with a new story that's actually something that can unify people despite how they understand their relationship with God or they understand their relationship with the tradition. This idea that there is hope, that there's miracle. You know, and Hanukkah takes place at the darkest time of the year. It's kind of related to this, the winter and you, and you light these candles. And it's, so it's also spiritually, it's a story about in the darkest moment of the year, how do you add light to that darkness? And how do you fill up a place that feels so raw and dark and dangerous with light? And how do you, and the rabbis disagree in the Talmud about how you light those candles since there are eight nights of Hanukkah. One rabbi said that you start with eight candles lit and you take one away uh, every night. Going from progressive um, light, light to more and more and more dark. Yep. 
or do you start with one candle and you add? And that's the and that's it's a debate between Hillel and Shammai, two schools of thought among the rabbis. And Hillel is the one who wins, and that's why you start with one candle. It's the idea of you add to the miracle, you you add joy and holiness. You don't take away. So it's also about bringing light into the world. Is about adding more and more. You don't try and detract. You you add and you expand. I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, Hillel and Shammai are fascinating to me because Shammai often represents the more conservative, narrow, stricter, Hillel, the more open, permissive, and mm-hmm. that a lot of what Jesus is doing when he's asked questions is basically people are asking Jesus, are you with Hillel or Shammai? Who do you side with? Mm. Um, and a good chunk of the questions he's asked are basically, which, which, which way do you lean on this? And, wh- and, and most of the time, Jesus... So people are like, oh, well, people... Why would people... Jesus? Why is Jesus going to ask these particular questions? Because Hillel and Shammai had been like the dominant sort of right and left, conservative, progressive, whatever categories you want to use aren't sufficient, but that sort of like, they shaped how people saw these issues. Like, it was like, it was like there was two parties, mm-hmm. try to imagine, and <laughs> that most of the time when Jesus is being asked questions, it's some variation of, here's one of the controversial subjects of the day, where do you stand? And on... Almost every issue, Jesus sides with Hillel, except yep. for um, divorce, where he side, where he kind of seems to lean more towards Shammai. But those two are such—they're like towering figures of the New Testament, but they're never named, so people miss that they're actually shaping a bunch of it, which uh, is fascinating. It's funny that you mentioned them. Yeah, and Hillel basically wins every argument between Hillel and Shammai among, among, in the Talmud. But Shammai's voice in his position is always— Mentioned. Yes, it's always respected. Yeah, and it's like almost it's like the loyal opposition. You need the tension of these yeah. different. Yeah, you can't have an argument if you only have one side presented. You need yeah. in order to have a deep conversation or a deep argument in order to try to come to some conclusion. You need to truly and honestly represent all positions, and you need to have an open mind in order to hear them, even if you disagree. Yeah, and then you have to have those arguments presented, and then you can move forward. Hanukkah. Yeah. yeah, by the way, the, uh, those of you in the New Testament, it's, when it says Jesus went to the Feast of Dedication, he's a good Jew, in the first century would have been observing Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. That would have been a very normal thing. And by the way, in light of everything Rabbi Joel just said, if you read the accounts where Jesus goes to the Feast of Dedication and sees what he does, he's, there's all sorts of hints he's leaning into and making all these really interesting allusions to really? all of it. Oh, oh cool. yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Okay, so let's notice that cliffhanger. Maybe next year we'll have to visit all that. <laughs> okay, I love it. Hanukkah. When does Hanukkah. Hanukkah start? Hanukkah starts this year right around Christmas. They overlap this year. It's at the end of the year. It's the, I don't remember the exact date, to be honest. I, I should probably know that. I can look at my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> did, I just, did I just ask a rabbi when's Hanukkah? He's like, I don't know. It's near Christmas. <laughs> Actually, Christmas Eve is the first night. Really? How often does that happen? Not very often. Christmas Eve is the first night of Hanukkah? Mm-hmm. Bringing the world together. No, wait, we're just... You, <laughs> yeah. yep. There are going to be all kinds of lights lighting up <laughs> all kinds of homes. Tacky <laughs> lights, <laughs> Rudolph lights. Okay, all the lights. Um, word number two. Word number two. Uh, I think for word number two, we should think about the word kadosh. Oh, I love this word. Oh. Go. I'm bonkers about this word. <laughs> okay, so kadosh means holy. 
Uh, that's how it's usually translated. But really, holiness, according to Kadosh, is about a separation or a distinction. So holiness is not um, holier than thou or bigger than or greater than. There's not. It's not really hierarchical. It's just about separate from. So for the, the best example would be um, on Friday night when you start Shabbat, you say Kiddush. It comes from the same root as Kadosh. Uh, and Kiddush is the blessing over the wine. Uh, and the blessing over the wine, every time you drink wine or drink juice or anytime you eat something, there's in, in our tradition, there's a there's a blessing for it. But on Friday night, you you add to that blessing over wine and you have a whole paragraph that basically talks about us um, escaping slavery and us going into this Shabbat mode. <clears throat> and Kiddush is the separation from the week into Shabbat. And so it's about going from the mundane of the week uh, into a holier or a separate space. And so throughout our tradition, and th whenever the word Kadosh is used, it's about this idea that you are putting yourself in a different place than you were just a minute ago. That you recognize that there are different levels of engaging in the world or engaging with yourself. Uh, and that you need to create that distinction. And distinction is good. Uh, and it doesn't mean that the week is terrible and Shabbat is good. It just means that there's a difference and that you recognize the value in, in those differences. Uh, and that it is set apart as special. Uh, so we also say the mourner's Kaddish at the end of every service, which is a prayer in which you honor the people who have passed away. Uh, it's recognizing there's, this, there's basically a separation between this world and the next, but there's also a separation between the fact that you just had a, a, a service in which you, you prayed and you kind of came to a certain place within yourself and that you, there's always that space where you distinguish from where you are uh, now and where you could be or where someone else is in their life. And if life. you don't have these moments of distinction, then all time and space bleeds into all yeah. other time and space. Right. And that would be a shame. We, we need those different ways in which we kind of reflect on the world and see ourselves within that world. And, and that is being holy. Being holy is recognizing that you have different, you can have a different awareness uh, at different times and that that's a good thing. Uh, and it's a needed thing. And it brings a sense of wholeness to you. Uh, and it brings a sense of holiness by having that distinction. Oh, see, that's really so. When when so for many people, holiness is like you know holier than thou. Going back to your hierarchical, mm -hmm. as opposed to an awareness that healthy life. It's interesting when you hear people say things like, "I just feel like I just need to unplug," yeah, or "I just need to get out." Of, I just I was in this other space, like my headspace. I needed to. Mm -hmm. They're really they're really intuitively naming. I need to make a distinction. Or yeah. like you come through, you come home from, people come from work and feel like they dragged all the stuff from work into the home and they're like, I'm sorry, I just brought a bunch of, all that anxiety with me. Um, yeah. But the awareness that we're moving from this space into this space. And it's getting harder and harder, I think, uh, for us to find those moments of distinction. The world kind of just, it does all bleed together. I mean, you, we are attached to the world and information uh, in a way that we, you know, generations ago we weren't. And so the, the need for distinction it becomes more and more important, I think, in our world. Because otherwise there's a 24-7 world mm -hmm. in which nothing's ever closed and everything's always on. Um, and a lot of people's employers are like, you're all, you know, you need to be by your phone all the time. So it's just no time is different than the other time. Heschel has this great line about 
Sabbath being like a cathedral in time, mm-hmm. which is different than a cathedral in space. Right. That yeah. we can think of a building in physical space that you would go to, a beautiful building you would go to, but that the Sabbath Shabbat tradition is like about a place in time. Yes. That you go to, which I Right, that love. for six days of the week you work, you create, and one day a week you just sit back and you look at the creations that you've made and that God has made. And you just take it all in. Like how important it is just to kind of bask in the creations of the world and what you've created for yourself. Whether you think about the home that you lived in that you've worked really hard to build and support your family and you just kind of sit back in that or to think about everything else in the world that's, you know, looking out at nature and seeing like how amazing. I don't need to try and fix it. I don't need to try and change it right now. I can just have a moment where I can sit back and enjoy. That's so good. One more thing about Kiddush, uh, Kadosh is um, when when two Jews get married under the chuppah, there's a part of the ceremony called Kiddushin, which is also comes from the same root of Kadosh, which is about um, the distinction between who you were as an individual and now who you are as a couple, that you go through this distinctive transition ah. under the chuppah. When you marry someone else, your identity shifts. So that holiness is also built into as you move through your life and you have different types of relationships and then you have one specific relationship with a partner, that that is a distinction. You are creating a whole different world for yourself. And actually at a Jewish wedding, before people enter under this wedding canopy, they traditionally circle either the, the woman circles the man seven times or they circle each other, which is the more egalitarian version. Uh, and that's about creating a whole new world, a universe. It's kind of the symbolic messaging of we are in front of all of you, but we are creating our own distinct little world and we are going to enter under this canopy and we are going to separate ourselves from the rest of the world. And yet we are doing doing so in the presence of all of you. So we are with you, and yet we are set apart and distinct as a unit. Uh, so, so if you, so like if somebody was, people were married and like one of their, like the mother-in-law was like too much in their business, then you would just say to the other one, Kadosh, Kadosh. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. this, we created a universe here of just us. Um, there uh, was this teacher out of Texas who really influenced me a number of years ago named Dwight Pryor, and he would quote from Isaiah where the angels are surrounding the throne of God, and there's mm. this great line where they repeat it with Kadosh, 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 Kadosh. Yeah. We say that every Shabbat. Oh, do you really? Yeah. And you, you're you standing up during, it's part of uh, a prayer called the Amidah, which is the standing yeah. prayer. Love that prayer. Uh, and you, you literally go onto your toes during that three times, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. You stand up on your the congregation toes. goes on their toes. Yeah. And it's the idea of elevating yourself, and it's from Isaiah. It's the passage from Isaiah. Because our prayers kind of combine uh, rabbinic poetry with text from the Bible. It's kind of this piece of art. The, the prayer yeah. book is a, is a piece of art that the Jews basically took with them in a way that they couldn't because they kept moving from place to place or kicked out of place to place. I love it. Boy, that, that image is powerful to me of standing on your tiptoes three times for kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Because I think if you stand on your tiptoes to see something that you can't see uh-huh. from where you are, it's almost, uh, so there's like this image of like, I'm mired in the everyday, but I'm going to pause and on my tiptoes look to see maybe a heightened view of something or something mm-hmm. worth seeing that I haven't seen because I've been still stuck in paying the bills or yeah. awkward relationships. and. In, in a Jewish prayer service, there's a lot of choreography. There are a lot of moments where either you bow or you're up on your tippy toes. Or, uh, and and there, I th- 
the way I see it is that there's something very powerful about physically changing absolutely your your location, and it's a it's a way to remind yourself about kind of the deeper meaning behind what you're saying. Absolutely, kadosh, K-A-D-O-S-H is usually mm-hmm. the English. Yep, kadosh. Oh man, oh man, that is great. I've always loved that word, but you just gave me. What do you love about it? By the way, I'll take everything you said. Like a, uh, a Robcast episode, like nine months from now, I'll be like, you know, I always <laughs> say that Kadosh. <laughs> oh. What was it that um, you loved about it? Well, I, I've always, I've always had this like chafing against the idea of holiness as hierarchical, like unattainable. Mm-hmm. Or, but I do often find myself using that word because I have experiences where the, one of the only words I can think of is holy for it. But I, what I mean, but now that like the set of distinction or set apart, I've often thought of holiness in terms of so many things break your heart. They're soiled, polluted. They aren't everything they could be mm-hmm. in life. Like we're so used to things falling short of what we ache and long and desire that they could be. Yeah. But then every once in a while, you have these moments where something is like so beautiful or pristine or good or so good that you pause. Like, um, but there, there's, but there is an element of dis- an awareness of distinction there. Mm-hmm. Like this is untainted. It just. Um, uh, you know, Preston's playing in all these bands around LA, and I went to hear one of him playing one of these one of his bands Tuesday night, and it was this health restaurant. Like it was the food looked great. It was like a quinoa bowl restaurant where they just cleared out the furniture. They just cleared out the tables for punk bands to play. Um, and he's that's the first time I've heard this band, and this new band he's in is fantastic, and they're just. Devastating. It sounds so good. And I'm sitting on the edge of a broken stool, leaning up against the drink refrigerator, <laughs> kind of on the edge of the kitchen in this old restaurant in Echo Park. And he and his band are making these transcendent noises. And there's just, and there's kids, there's all these kids packed in there dancing. And there's kids out on the street smoking. And there's a girl with a huge. There's always that girl. There's always that cool punk girl with the camera taking pictures of the yeah. band. And there's the dude working behind the counter, like making burritos. You know what I mean? Like it's just. And I. Oh, this is this is my boy. Yeah. And I'm here, and we're alive, and we're breathing. And this ginger kombucha tea that I just bought is fantastic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But but I but like this just intuitive. There's something kadosh. Kadosh, kadosh about this. Mm. It's like those moments when, it's moments when the thing that is front and center isn't the thing that's broken, or the thing that's broken your heart, or the thing that's wrong with the world, but it's, ah, uh, this is right with yeah. the world. Kadosh, kadosh. You don't even. I, I know. Kadosh. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, smack in the middle of the Torah, Leviticus 19 is called the Holiness Code. Um, and it starts, the chapter 19 of Leviticus starts by saying, um, you shall be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then it goes, it doesn't just end there. It talks about we have tools 
in our life and ways in which we can bring more holiness into our own lives and into the world. Mm. And Leviticus 19 then goes through a whole list of a whole variety of different ways in which we are supposed to emulate God's holiness through the way we act in the world and that it is possible to bring more and more holiness into the world. You just have to read these, these ways in which we can do it. Like you don't put a stumbling block before the blind. You love your neighbor as yourself. Um, you leave the corners of the field for the poor. Yes. You know, all these ways in which if you want to bring holiness, it is not up to God to bring that holiness. It is up to you. You have the power to do it. Here are the tools. Go and do it. So you live can with make an awareness and make distinctions. You can do this. If you think the world is really broken, then there are ways to bring more holiness to it. If, if you are having challenges in your own life, you can look to ways in which you, the, the tools are there. Our yes. tradition says it. Yes. You know, yes. you just yes. got to read it and, yes. and figure out how you interpret it in your own life and it can happen. Yes. You know, someone the other day um, was, said something about the book of Leviticus. It's 2016. Somehow we were talking about Leviticus. But I was like, oh, no, no, no. no. Leviticus, third book of the Bible, is actually a revolutionary idea because it says that human action matters. Mm-hmm. Like this was, in the ancient Near East, this was like a breakthrough stage of human consciousness. Like, no, no, no. The, the way that you conduct yourself in everyday little actions is like really, really, really important and powerful. I lo- That just gives me a whole new interpretation of... The first word in Hebrew of the book of Leviticus is called Vaikra, yes. which is the name of the book of Leviticus in Hebrew. And at the end of the word Vaikra, is a, it ends with the, word, the letter Aleph. And in the Torah, if you look at the word Vaikra in Hebrew, the Aleph is smaller than all the other letters. It's one of the few places in the Torah where you find a Hebrew letter written in the scroll smaller than all the other letters. Scri- a scribe the, would have done that on yeah. purpose? Oh, it's on purpose. Every Torah you look at. Uh, has a sm- so actually once, even if you were to have like a, have a, a Hebrew JPS a there. JPS a, a, a translate you know just with the vowels and all that you even in Torah commentaries so on, you find somewhere the way back there a scribe makes the a smaller smaller the and then everybody else from there on out yep. so there are all kinds of interpretations smaller. as to why is it smaller one of them is about uh, Moses's humility another is about this is actually supposed to be the first book that you teach young children not Genesis you're not supposed to teach the stories of Genesis and Noah's ark and all Too that conceptual you need yeah. how to act right and even though the book of Leviticus has all this stuff about sacrifices that it is a book about action and so you're supposed to start with the youngest the youngest people should learn about the book of Leviticus first that's what you start at yeshiva teaching kids but I th- but I love the other interpretation that you just kind of gave which is that small olive represents it's the small actions Absolutely. that you take. It's about those small things that you think are so minute that they probably have no power. Those are the things that actually have power. And those small actions add up to something that is so substantive and important that in the middle of that book of Leviticus, we have the holiness code. Which is why people are like, why is it so boring? It's just long lists of commandments. No, it, it's it's long, and there are all these very detailed lists because human beings were going, hey, wait, how you do things, you can like tilt the world through the details of how you actually do things, which is interesting when you think about it. Like every life coach, diet, trainer, every self-help thing out there now, which is every magazine when you're checking out the grocery <laughs> store, ev- is all, oh, by the way, you're going to have to 
come to understand that how you live your life and the decisions that you make in the everyday course of your life are really important. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like this is now sort of conventional wisdom about how you make your life better or the world better. But it's at one point, around. this was a brand new idea. And it's been around for a long time. And you gave us this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Oh my word! That is so fantastic. Uh, uh, that is so fantastic that you said you're welcome. On behalf of Gentiles everywhere, thank you. And on behalf of Jewish people everywhere, you say you're welcome. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're bringing people together. We are bringing people together faster than you can even keep track. Uh, that's good, Kadosh. Okay, look, another word? Well, one more? Let's do at least another one. Okay. Uh, I think last time I was on, I talked about kavanah. Yes. Right, which is about intention. Yes. So I, I've, if we talked about kavanah, we should talk about the, the opposite, which is called keva. And the ke- kavanah was the idea that before you do something, you think about your intentions so that you're not just reciting empty exactly. prayers or platitudes. Right. And that kavanah goes beyond just the prayer experience. It's basically how you bring intention into your life. That in t- you can't just go through the motions without intention. The opposite um, in, in our prayer book is has a straight set structure. Um, and most prayer services do, and kind of life has a structure to it. And that the word keva means structure. Um, and so according to our tradition, in order to have the kavanah, you also need the structure. You need both. You need keva and kavanah. You need the intention, but you also need a structure by which to bring intention to. So um, when you look at a prayer service or a prayer book, the structure of the prayers, because every day you say a certain prayer at a certain time in a certain order to every prayer service, that is called keva. That is the structure of an experience or the structure of a prayer service. And that is seen as valuable um, just as much as kavanah is valuable. You need to have structure in your life. You can't be structured without intention behind it, but you can't just kind of float through the world going on your whims and like every moment you have an intention and you just kind of follow that. You have to also recognize that there is a structure to the world around you. Um, You need to fit into that structure in some way uh, and don't ignore that. Like don't just go off on your own in your own world without recognizing that there's a greater structure that you can be a part of. Uh, so that's the keva. Interesting. How does that play out in your life? Like what would be an example? An example would be, um, you know, I just want to get up today and I just want to go for a walk and I don't want to go to work or take care of my kids. I just want to take care of me. And believe me, I've had a few of those days where I felt that. However, there is a structure to my life. Yes. There is a, a recognition that if I were to just go with my intention without recognizing that mm. um, I have responsibility in this world and that there are other needs that need to be met, uh, I, I'd be failing. That intention actually would not be uh, successful or rewarding because it would have it impacted negatively yeah. a lot of other things that are actually part of my structure. So how do you then recognize, okay, if I'm going to go through my day and there's certain things that I need to do that today, but I still have this intention of really, I don't want to do anything. How can I bring that intention into a structured experience? Like how can I still walk through my day and do what I have to do, but how can I find little moments or how can I make sure that as I'm driving and I'm stuck in that traffic, that maybe I actually look up at the sky for a second instead of yelling at the 
guy in front of me, you know, or figuring out ways of kind of adding little moments into mm-hmm. a structured life that we, we need in order to kind of get through our day. Oh, fascinating. So it's Katu, wait, what are the two Keva. words? Kavana. Kavana. And Keva. Keva. K-E-V-A would be, yeah, structure. Man, oh man, oh man. That's good. Okay, let's do one more. Okay. We have to keep going. You're on a roll. Okay. Uh, zahor. The word Zahor. Z-A-H-O-R? Uh, yeah. Z-A-H-O-R, Z-A-C-H-O-R, because it kind of has that... Zahor? The ch. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's about uh, remembering and memory. Uh, and that plays a huge role in Judaism. I mean, it plays a huge role in all of our lives. It's kind of a universal concept. But uh, Zachor, uh, Zikaron, like Yom HaZikaron is a day in which uh, in Israel where it's a day of, of remembering um, those who, who died in, in wars. Um, we have a prayer service uh, four times a year called Yisker which comes from the same root where uh, those are moments, intentional moments and experiences in, in a synagogue where people come together who've lost someone in the past year. Um, never forget, you know, there are all these things where memory plays a significant role mm. in shaping our collective and, and personal identities. So it's an important word because we all recognize that um, memory is important, but it's also a way in which we connect ourselves to something in the past uh, and we hold on to that past, but we don't let it burden us, but it's what helps shape us who we are now and can help us go into the future. So Zachor, this idea of memory, um, is something that our, that Jews have held on to for so long. It's what, it's what's gotten us through it all, uh, is, is this concept of memory. And um, how does that, like in the life of your of your congregation, how does Zahor play itself? Like, what would you remember? What do, People would remember now, what would they remember, and how would that make things better? One is remembering the people who are no longer in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to understand who you are, you have to understand who you came Where from. Where you come from. Uh, and those stories. My father was a wandering near me, and mm-hmm. I love that line in Genesis. For yeah. So all, almost all of our our holidays have this role of memory. It's it's never you never forget the past. You you learn from it. I mean, it's kind of a duh concept. Like yeah, of course, but we need to be reminded of the fact. It's actually losing its duhness because of the <laughs> obsession with progress, which I think is mm. accentuated by technology. The, uh, the only way is forward. Yeah. And so people end up untethered and unanchored. Yep. Um, with no sense of anything to remember. Because all that's bad back there. All that we've left behind for this new thing. Instead of, oh no, we're here because we came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And keeping that alive and having a respect and gratitude that people did come before us. Uh, Heschel talks about to be a Jew is to remember. Um, but it's interesting how many people I've noticed will have a question, and they already know the answer to the question about something in their life, and it generally involves some form of remembering who they are, that like they have forgotten. Mm-hmm. Like you've all, like they hate their job. You've always been drawn to X. I have. 
Yeah, right. So, what are you? Are you doing that now? No, I'm doing something completely different. No wonder you hate it. This isn't who you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the way forward is actually remembering. Go back through your life and the moments when you're most alive. But I think that scares people. I think that's why maybe we're having trouble connecting to the past because when you remember who you are deep down inside or you remember where you came from, if you're not living up to that, it's tough to be reminded of that. Uh, that can be really hard to go from a place of recognizing I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And when you start to remember who you are deep inside, you either, you know, become much more aware of that division between who you are and where you are now. And you yeah. need to make sure you have the tools and the, and the resources to help you get back to who you are inside. Uh, and so I think that's one of the challenges of, you know, as we're always progressing, always moving forward, when you update your system, you know, an app or whatever, you don't, there's no, there are very few things lingering from the past, right? It's just yeah. about like a whole new start, fresh start, like start all over, but you can't start all over. Like you can't start all over without remembering the pieces that came before, uh, because that will actually draw you into a deeper, more significant future. Uh, you just kind of have to find the coding from the past, decipher it, and kind of bring it to its new iteration. I think one of the challenges of religion in general that we're facing is how do we hold on to the past? And yet, just like technology, we're continuing to adapt. And and how how much are we willing to hold on to and how much are we willing to let go of what our tradition is? And how, we, how much are we willing to develop it into a new iteration? And I know there are people who, including me, are starting to think about this for our own traditions of how, what's the next iteration? How do we start to think about the future? Um, because there's, some, there's institutional memory, but institutional memory is something that people aren't as caught up on anymore. So institutions right. have to change. So what is it that we take into the future that we should keep remembering because it's good and, it's, and then what actually does need to be left behind? Mm -hmm. It's not going to go with us. On the, oh, Zachor. Zachor. Okay, this was so great. This is awesome. This is, this is four, four. You brought four fantastic words. And then um, you'll come back again. We'll do some more. If people yell and scream at you that they want me to come back, I will. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> They're already yelling and screaming. <laughs> but seriously, thank you. Oh, thank you. So inspiring. So much to reflect on. And happy um, holidays. To you as well. To you as well. We should get together for a mashup holiday something. Light it up. I'm... Well, <laughs> I, you know, our wives are already planning it. By the way, folks, editorial note: every time Joel and I are like, "Hey, we really should do something with our wives," are already texting and emailing, setting something up. Do you notice that? How many times Kristen's like, "Yeah, Julie and I were just talking yeah. about it," and I'm thinking you and I have just invented a rocket, and they're like, "Yeah, we already got it sorted out next Monday night." Yep. Like, oh, that's we'll do a joint thing called "Light It Up." And at some point, and this will be the this will be the extent of the liturgy. My family will be on one side, your family will be on the other, and my family will say, Thank you. <laughs> and your family will say, You're, You're welcome. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the that gift is, exchange. <laughs> that is so oh, my kids will be like, wait, you have eight days of gift giving? 
And your kids will be like, wait, you only get one day of gifts? Well, that'll be good. It'll be fun. Oh, it's a good time. So <laughs> good.